Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called God Is. In this series, we're learning who God is and how he wants to relate to us. Thanks for joining us. Brian Burrell tells of an armed robber named Dennis Lee Curtis who was arrested in 1992 in Rapid City, South Dakota. Curtis apparently had scruples about his thievery. In his wallet, the police found a sheet of paper on which was written the following code, sort of a robber's rules. One, I will not kill anyone unless I have to. Two, I will take cash and food stamps, but no checks. Three, I will rob only at night. Four, I will not wear a mask. Five, I will not rob mini-marts or 7-Eleven stores. Six, if I get chased by cops on foot, I will get away. If chased by a vehicle, I will not put the lives of innocent civilians on the line. Seven, I will rob only seven months of the year. Eight, I will enjoy robbing from the rich to give to the poor. Now, this thief had a sense of morality, but it was flawed. And when he stood before the court, he was not judged by the standards he had set for himself, but a higher authority. And that's an interesting idea, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of, he's kind of proud of himself because uh, he picked a certain standard and he felt like he abided by it. And today I want to talk to you about righteousness. It's a popular word, isn't it? It's a word we don't talk much about anymore, but that's what we come to when we think about the names of God. The one we're going to look at today is Jehovah Sidkenu, and it's the idea of the, the Lord is our righteousness. And the idea of righteousness, in order for us to appreciate it, we've got to first understand it. But that's not enough just to understand righteousness. What does it mean to know the Lord, our righteousness? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. But um, there's a challenge because when you talk about righteousness, there's all kinds of ideas about righteousness. And here's another thing. Here's what I've learned as a pastor in our culture. Many, many people have come from homes or from situations where they were criticized, where they were beaten down, they were treated like less than. And so when they hear anyone say that, you know, uh, there's something wrong with you, that it's hard to take because it sounds a lot like what they're unloving family members or different people said. Other times, uh, there's this idea that, look, hey, everybody's okay. So here, if you're following along the notes, here's how I want to set it up. Uh, In this I'm okay, you're okay world, we can deceive ourselves. In this I'm okay, you're okay world, we can deceive ourselves. Now, maybe some of you recognize that I'm okay, you're okay. I'm probably dating myself, but in 1967, a guy named uh, Thomas Anthony Harris came out with this book, I'm Okay, You're Okay. It sold over 15 million copies, and it went into many different languages, and it became part of our culture. And there was this idea that, hey, you know, after all, you know, don't let other people tell you, you know, what they think of you. I mean, you're okay. I'm okay. And so that kind of culture is become very popular in the United States. Don't judge anyone, just everybody's okay. So the problem with that is, is that if we think like that, the possibility of us deceiving ourselves or fooling ourselves goes up. Because here's the testimony of the Bible. You and I matter to God, but we're not okay. 
We matter to God, but we're not okay. And righteousness reveals that. The question is not, do we have a standard? It's which standard do we have for righteousness? And I want to talk to you today about understanding righteousness and also what it would mean to know the Lord as our righteousness. And I'm hoping that when you walk to your car today, this will be something that's helpful to you as you think about your everyday life. And so let me just pray, and then uh, we'll get started, and um, we'll look at this. We're going to be studying from Jeremiah today. Lord, I want to pray. Years ago, you called me to be a pastor, and I don't fully understand all that, or, uh, but I, I just know, Lord, that you've called me to love people and to teach people as I learn myself how to live the Christian life. And so I pray that you'd use this time in this middle of the summer Sunday for us just to learn your way. And uh, I pray again that you would be uh, the one who teaches us in such a way that it's so personal that we can't miss it. In your name, amen. Okay, so um, as we think about this, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah, if you're getting used to your Bible, by the way, uh, if you go to about the middle, that's usually the Psalms, and if you turn right, you'll go past books like Proverbs, you'll eventually come to a big book, Isaiah. Jeremiah is just to the right of that. If you're using one of the black Bibles and the seat racks nearby, it's on page 635, and we have that listed on the screen in case you're looking that up. But here's the thing. The word, the name for God that we're studying today is found in two places, and they're both in the book of Jeremiah. Again, Jehovah Sidkenu. And we're going to see that uh, later today in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 23, and then it can also be found in chapter 33. We're just going to mainly focus on chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. And here's full disclosure. I'm not going to read it from the New International Version. I'm going to read it, have us read it from the English Standard Version, because I think it says it a little, just a little bit more clearly. Uh, and again, uh, I, why did I ask you to open your Bibles then if you're using the NIV? Mainly because I want you to see where it's found. And also because we're going to reference some places a little bit later in Jeremiah that you may want to look at. But here's the thing. When we think about understanding righteousness, before we even read this passage, let me do some setup. So here's the first thing if you're following along. Righteousness is both a right standing and a way of living with God. Righteousness is both a right standing and a way of living with God. By right standing, what I mean, if you say someone is in good standing in the community, it means that they've got uh, just the kind of character, they've got the kind of uh, ability uh, to be respected. And uh, they're valid. Uh, They're justified. So a right standing, but also a way of living. So it's not only our position before God, our place before God, but also the way we live. And it's both. Now, uh, right, if you're talking about the word righteous, if you're following along there, what I want you to see is that to be righteous means to be justified, right with, or rightly related to God. Righteous means to be justified, right with, rightly related to God. Other words you might use are validated, that kind of thing. Now, as we think about this, I don't know if you've noticed just how OCD I am with the message notes each week. But if you look at my notes almost every Sunday, you'll notice that along the right margin, I have tried to be very justified. 
I've tried to make sure everything lines up exactly. I mean, you have no idea on Thursday afternoons how hard I work at making sure this all fits on the line perfectly. Steve teases me a lot, but this is big for me. Maybe I'm trying to justify myself by justifying my margins. <laughs> the point is, is that what it means is, is to line up with. When something's aligned, then it's righteous, okay? And so think of a broken bone. If you have a broken leg, until it gets aligned, until it gets set, it will not function properly, and there'll be a lot of pain. And what happens is, is that an orthopedic surgeon comes to set it so that it not only can work properly, but so that it's aligned again, so that it's set right. Now, most people, when they think of righteousness, they think of moral rules, so a lot of times we, we run into people that are very self-righteous because they keep all kinds of rules and they just think they're better than us. Or they're like way too uptight. Now Jesus told a parable about this one day in Luke 18. If you look on the screen, here's what he told. He said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Again, if we were listening in the first century when Jesus told this, you would have heard some of the crowd go, tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Can you smell the room right now? Can you smell what Jesus is talking about? But the tax collector stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, here's what I want you to understand about righteous and righteousness. Righteous is not so much about obeying rules as about being in right relationship. So a lot of people say, you know, I, I've obeyed all these different rules or I obey all these different things in the Bible, but if they don't care about the one who gave those rules, it's a problem. See, it's one thing to break God's rules, it's another thing to break his heart. It's one, it's, it's one thing to keep the letter of the law but not care about the spirit of the law. And so, again, it, it, this word righteousness in the Bible is a relational word. It means, how am I lined up with a divine person? Am I rightly related to God, or am I out of whack with God? Do I have like a broken bone relationship with God, or one that's being set right? And that's what God wants us to understand. So as we think about this, before we read verses 5 and 6 of Jeremiah 23, I want to just give you the background. When was Jeremiah a prophet? He was a prophet about 625 years before Jesus came to earth. So picture this. Now, in the Old Testament, there were a number of times when God's people, the people of Israel in those days, would sometimes be responsive to him, and then many other times when they were disobedient or unresponsive to him. This is in one of those down times. In fact, this is right before God's people are about to be exiled under God's judgment because for hundreds of years they've been snubbing God and they have been trying to do what they wanted. And so if you're following along, here's the, here's the environment that Jeremiah gets to be a prophet in. God's people are doing whatever they feel like 
doing. God's people are doing whatever they feel like doing. Uh, Judges 21, 25 was an earlier time in history, but it's very similar to this time. And here's in the English Standard Version in the message paraphrase, here's what it says. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. People did whatever they felt like doing. Question, what was their standard? Themselves. If it's right in my eyes, then it's right. If it's what I feel like doing, then it's right. That was their standard. Now, let me ask you, if a country, if a nation of people all decide to live like that, how does it go? Not good. It becomes chaos. It becomes difficult because now everybody's got a different standard and everybody looks at things differently. And so this is what was going on instead of being a great time. Righteousness exalts a nation. Any other kind of righteousness will deteriorate, right? And that's what's going on. There's just like chaos. And what's worse is all the leaders are leading the way. They're basically like saying, hey, this is what I feel like doing. I don't feel like. And so they were not paying attention to God's standard of righteousness at all. And they weren't walking right with God. And that's what this time was like. Now, if you're following along, God um, sends his prophet Jeremiah to warn them. God sends his prophet Jeremiah to warn them. And again, God, when God warns us, I don't know when you hear the word warn, if you think mad or if you think love. But to me, anybody that takes the time to warn me loves me. And often a warning is given because there's still hope. So God sends his prophet to Jeremiah and they, when they hear the message, um, they, they don't respond well. In fact, in the opening chapters of Jeremiah, here's one of the things that's said, chapter two, verse 13. My people, God says, have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. Notice that's a relational word. The spring of living water and have dug their own cisterns broken cisterns that cannot hold water. They think they can do life without me. They think that they can just on their own terms, their own standards, and it's not going to work. And therefore, they're not going to be able to know life, even though they try. And so he says, look, judgment is coming. Now, again, I don't know how much you know, but uh, Israel, God's people, after they came out of uh, Egypt and eventually settled in the promised land, over a period of time, uh, though they seemed to be responsive at times, over a period of time, they got divided as a nation. So they got divided into two kingdoms. The first kingdom had already been exiled and judged and gone off into another country, Assyria. And then the other is this one right now in Jeremiah's time, Judah. And the kings, they had some good kings. Josiah, just a few years before, had been a great king. He had really sought God. But now his ancestors have all said, nope, not going to do that. And that's the chapter we're in. And so Judah is about to be taken over by Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. A few summers ago, we studied Daniel. Daniel was exiled as part of this judgment that was coming that Jeremiah prophesied. So just some of the history. Now, he sends to warn them, notice this, is that King Zedekiah stubbornly refuses to listen to God. King Zedekiah stubbornly refuses to listen to God. Let me just share this with you. I I appreciated what Tony Evans said on this. He said, several years ago, my father was somewhat ill for weeks. When I visited him in Baltimore, I asked him if he had gone to the doctor, and he told me he had. So then I asked him what doctor 
uh, what the doctor had told him. He gave me a detailed overview of what the doctor had diagnosed and instructed him to do. So is that what you're doing, I asked? No, he said. So what are you doing, I asked, perplexed. I'm changing doctors. My father didn't like what his first doctor had said and how he wanted dad to address a health issue in his life, so dad simply changed doctors. As I was thinking about this situation, Tony Evans writes, sometime later, it occurred to me that this is similar to what many of us do with God when we don't like what he tells us to do or when he prescribes a solution to our problems that we don't agree with. We just switch gods. We go to a God who is a little more convenient, adaptive, and flexible to our lifestyle values and goals. And the Israelites were doing just that when God revealed this name that we're considering today. They had departed from following the one true God and were following foreign gods who were more lenient towards their desires and lifestyle. Now, when I say that Zedekiah stubbornly refuses to listen to God, let me make two comments. Not only he, but also his predecessor. So Zedekiah. The word righteous in the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And the word righteous, now again, I only took one year of Hebrew up at Lincoln Christian Seminary, and this was back in the 80s, so if I act like I know Hebrew, just pinch me, okay? But I do remember several words, and one was Zedek, righteous. Zedekah, righteousness. Now, do you hear in the king's name, Zedekiah, the Lord is my righteousness or my vindication is the meaning of his name. But what you're going to see is that he is that in name only. He has no interest in living his name. And it's easy for us to be Christians in name only and not truly be interested in that. And so Zedekiah, here it is. If you want to turn to the right, like I said, chapter 37, we'll look at first and then chapter 36. But here's verses one and two. Zedekiah, son of Josiah, succeeded Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, as the king of Judah. He was appointed by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Now remember, why is he appointed by a foreign king to be king? Because King Nebuchadnezzar has already started taking over Judah as part of God's judgment but he hasn't completely taken over. So Jeremiah has been warning him. And so it says, but neither King Zedekiah nor his attendants nor the people who were left in the land listened to what the Lord said through Jeremiah. They didn't listen. Now, to make this even more fleshed out, if you go back to chapter 36, I want to just help you see that Jehoiakim, who was the king before Zedekiah, look at how he responds when Jeremiah would give these warnings and these words of hope to God's people, uh, hoping that they would change. And uh, before we look at that, let me just give you the background. At the beginning of chapter 36, God tells Jeremiah to write on a scroll this message. So he does. He's in hiding because, again, the kings don't like his words. So he's in hiding. He writes it all out on a scroll, takes all the time it takes, and then he sends it through a messenger to the temple. The people in the temple let the palace know that the message has arrived, so the king's assistants go get it. Now, the king has a chance to listen to this message, and that's where we pick it up. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Can you use your imagination? Whenever Jehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear. 
nor did they tear their clothes, even though Elnathan, Deliah, and Gamariah urged the king not to burn the scroll. He would not listen to them. I just, I don't, again, I, I doubt many of us do that with our Bibles, but can you just imagine where there's a passage of scripture that's really convicting you and you just pull it out, go, put it in the fire, say, that's how I feel about that. That's what they were doing. And so God speaks into this dire situation and in the middle of it, he says, look, I'm pronouncing judgment on what's going. You're gonna be exiled, but I want you to know that I'm not done with you as a people. I am going to raise up a way of restoring you one day. I'm gonna do something. And that's where we pick up verses five and six. So would you be ready now to read with me from the first and second gray boxes, verse five and six from Jeremiah 23? Let's read it. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Verse six, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, if you're following along with me, what I want you to see here is that God is going to do something. He says, I'm going to raise up a righteous branch from David. David had been promised in the Old Testament that God wanted to honor him in such a way that he would never fail to have a descendant on the throne as king. But now, Zedekiah, Jehoiakim, I mean, they were wearing God's patience. So God says, okay, even though all this is crashing, I want you to know that I'm going to keep my promise. And there's going to be 625 years from now, someone who will be the righteous branch. When you think of a branch, you think of a family tree. It will come out a descendant of David. Jesus was called the son of David. He is in the New Testament several times. And he is going to execute justice and righteousness. And he will be called by this name. The Lord is our righteousness. God was going to do something despite what they were doing. And so here's one of the things we just need to understand about righteousness if you're following along. God alone is the standard and source of true righteousness. God alone is the standard and source of true righteousness. I want to just ask you this question. Maybe someone's asked you this before. But one day when you stand before God, when I stand before God, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? In other words, we're going to be tempted to justify or validate ourselves in some way, right? When he says that to us, what are you going to say? What most Americans say is, well, I've been a good person. Or I haven't been that bad, you know, like, I, not like an axe murderer. Which is kind of like me bragging that I can bench press more than my grandmother. It means that I just, I choose, I choose my standard. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I, I tend to pick, whenever I want to feel great about myself, I tend to pick someone who's worse than me in my mind, in my eyes. So that then I feel bigger, I feel more right. I feel more righteous. But notice that God says that our righteousness will be someone higher than us. If you ask someone, hey, how do you, how do you line up next to Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or someone like that? People go, ah, well, you know. Maybe not as good, but you know, but I'm not that bad. 
And so that's kind of a backwards way of talking, isn't it? But this is the way we, we handle things in order to validate or justify ourselves. And people are looking everywhere to say, why do, why do I even exist? Like, why am I here? Am I okay? And we all wrestle with that. But notice this, that when we stand before God one day, it's not going to be like we think. So I've shared this story before, but a pastor in a church in Chicago tells of an experience he had when the church's large auditorium was near completion. The contractor and architect arranged to meet with the pastor and some of the staff for a final inspection of their work. The morning of the inspection, one of the church staff arrived early and set up a spotlight, like the ones you see in stage and theater productions, and was aiming it at various sections of the 45-foot-high ceilings when the pastor arrived. The pastor took out a notebook, and together they noted a number of places where flaws and defects in the workmanship could be clearly seen. When the contractor and architect arrived and saw these two using a spotlight, they demanded immediately that the plug be pulled. No one's work could stand up under the hot, blazing brilliance of light like that, they protested, and they quickly showed the pastor and his staff the contract, which specifically agreed to an inspection under natural room lighting conditions only. You know, it's tempting for us to inspect our lives under natural room lighting conditions and to feel very smug, satisfied, and self-righteous. But the Bible clearly indicates that none of us will be judged by God under natural room lighting conditions, but before the blazing, brilliant light of Jesus. So when that's the case, the question becomes is, if he is the standard of true righteousness, how am I doing? Not good. That's why the Bible says, before him our righteousness is like filthy rags. So what do we do? Well, the better question is, what has God done? And that leads us to this promise, Jehovah Sidkenu. Notice I put the pronunciation in there, even though we're not fluent Hebrew speakers. And it means the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. Now the question becomes is, who is Jehovah Sidkenu? And the Bible makes clear in the New Testament that it is Jesus, son of David, Messiah. Jesus is Jehovah Sidkenu, who makes us right with God if you're following along. Jesus is Jehovah Sidkenu, who makes us right with God. And now you have yet another name you can use when you speak to Jesus, Jehovah Sidkenu. Do you mind saying that with me? Jehovah Sidkenu. You mind saying that to your neighbor? Jehovah Sidkenu. Now, as you think about that, as you think about the Lord as our righteousness, have, have, let's just say that together as a church, the Lord, our righteousness. You try it one more time, the Lord, our righteousness. And that idea is this, is that God has made a way for us to be righteous in God's sight. God has made a way. He is the source of true righteousness that can flow into our lives, even though ours is deficient and like filthy rags, even on our best day in the blazing brilliance of light. And so if you're following along, here's what the good news of the gospel teaches us, that God credits Jesus' righteousness to all who trust him. God credits Jesus' righteousness to all who trust him. So let me just scroll through several scriptures. 1 Corinthians 1.30. 1 
We've been studying the letter to the Corinthians most of the year, but here's what it says early in that letter. It is God who has made you part of Christ Jesus. He is the reason we are right with God and pure enough to even be in his presence. Christ is the one who set us free from sin. So as the scriptures say, whoever boasts should boast only about the Lord. This is not a righteousness that can make us smug, self-satisfied, feel superior. Why? Because it's a gift. Religion is spelled D-O, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. If I stand before God one day and say, look at what I've done, I completely misunderstand righteousness. But if I'm willing to stand before God and say, I can only enter your presence because of what you've done for me, that's the difference. And that leads to a humility, that leads to a relationship that is incredible. And so, as you think about this, here's another verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, spotless, pure, righteous. There wasn't a moment that Jesus wasn't right with his Father every moment he walked this earth. To be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I was thinking while we were singing, and we've been talking about the blood of Christ, and some people go, blood? Like, like, why are we into blood? Blood, the Bible says, is the life of a person. And in order for things to be made right, there had to be a righteous sacrifice. Jesus' blood was the payment for the penalty of our sin. If Jesus had not died, if he had not given his blood, we would not be able to be right with God. Therefore, his blood becomes precious because that's how he paid for us, to be made right with God. And so when we think about that, now, here's what Romans teaches us. Romans teaches us that you and I, when we stand before God, it will not be because we're boasting about what we've done, but by faith in what Christ has done. So here it is, Romans 1, 17. It says this, this is good news. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith, trust, reliance, dependence. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Romans 3.22 says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes in him, no matter who we are. Romans 4.5, look at this. But people are counted as righteous. That's a, that's a counting term right there. Credited or counted as righteous. Not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. So let me just think this through with you. If you're going to try and get a job, you put together your resume and you present it in order to be accepted, in order to be hired. So you say, here is my validating performance record. And you list all the things that you've done. If you want to go to a college, you present in your application, basically your transcript of your grades or your report cards. And you say, here is what I've performed. Here's what I've done. Accept me into your school. So we're used to thinking that this is how it's going to go down with God. But God says, if you come to me like that, that won't possibly work because you can't possibly present a perfect validating performance record. But my son has. And everyone who looks to my son and trusts in him, here's how it will work. Instead of you presenting your validating performance record to me, I will present to you my son's validating performance record to you. And I will say, accept him, and I will accept you. Now, here's what a lot of people think. The Bible calls this being justified, justification. And most people think that means that he forgives our sins. Friends, that's not the half of it. 
It's way past forgiveness. Forgiveness is kind of a negative word that says, you can go, I won't hold against you what you've done to me. Justification is a word that says, come, you're welcomed into my presence and my love. Justification makes us just as if I had never sinned. He sees Christ's righteousness instead of my unworthiness. And I don't know about you, but I'll praise him forever for that. Because that's the only way I'll be with him forever, is trusting in what he has done. And that humbles our pride because we want to justify ourselves and say, I earned it, I did it. And the Bible says those people will never go home justified. People that are humble enough to receive. And so here we are, God credits Jesus' righteousness to all trust him. Did you know there was the guy that wrote most of the New Testament, a guy named Paul, he had been Saul. Do you know this was his story? So he's looking back in Philippians 3. And here's what he says. By the way, if you went to school with Saul, who became Paul, you would be so intimidated because this was a guy that was over the top justifying and validating himself by being an extra credit follower of God, okay? Here's what he says. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless with com when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, trust, dependence, reliance, childlike dependence. Wow. You know what happened? He was going down one road, thought he was righteous in his own eyes, and then he met Jesus on the Damascus road, and in the blazing, hot, white, brilliant light of Jesus' presence, he saw that it was only by trusting what Jesus had done that he could be a different person. He could have a different standing. So the good news is, is that for all of those of us that look to Jehovah Sidkenu and put our faith and trust in him, he will give us his righteousness and he'll give us his righteous standing. But some of you say, maybe I, but think like I do. Yeah, but Jeff, I still mess up. I still sin. I'm still unrighteous with God on any given week. Me too. So what's that mean? If you're following along, here's some good news. Though we can't lose our standing, we can hurt our closeness. If you put your trust in Christ, you can never lose your standing. You can never lose your place, your position in the family. But you can hurt your closeness. Some of you know, I, I just think about this with my wife. Just because I hurt her by my inattentiveness or my insensitivity does not mean I'm not married. My parents were in the last service. Just because I do some things on any given week that probably don't make them real happy that I, they're my parents does not mean I'm not in the family. You and I cannot lose our standing, our right standing with God. That's secured. But man, we can hurt our fellowship with God. And when you and I begin to understand what he's done for us, and we begin to 
hunger and thirst for righteousness, like Jesus says, is a blessed way to go. When you and I seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then we will find that we don't want to hurt Christ. We want to stay close to him. We want to enjoy that. So how does that work? So let me tell you what happened to this Saul who became Paul. He eventually would write the letter to Ephesians. And in Ephesians, he says this. Look at this. This is how we think of righteousness as a way of living now. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is a gift he gives us. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now, where am I going with this? Bible teaches us that although we've been given a right standing with God through what Christ has done, that's not the end of the story. Now how do we live each day until we're with Christ forever? The Bible says is that we need to learn instead of going back to our old ways and saying, hey, it doesn't matter anymore. I have a right standing with Jesus. We go, hey, why did he save me? He saved me so I could live with him differently now to have a close relationship with him. So he gives an example. He says, look, if you used to tell lies, if you were into falsehood, be done with that. Now tell the truth to people. And he keeps going for another two chapters. You know what he says? He says, look, if you used to go to bed angry, don't do that anymore. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't give the devil a foothold like that. Keep short accounts. Make things right. Don't get there to be a long space between your anger and bitterness. Then he says, look, if you used to use your mouth in an unwholesome way, used to tell dirty jokes or swear or just say all kinds of demeaning things to other people, don't use your mouth like that anymore. Let your mouth now build people up. Let your mouth spread good news. Let your mouth do something different that benefits people. Hey, look, if you used to, he says, be a person that let bitterness stay in your heart, don't do that anymore. Now forgive as the Lord forgave you. Be kind, compassionate to people. Look, if you used to be drunk, don't get drunk anymore. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill you and in the fellowship of other people that are also hungry for God's righteousness, learn how to sing and study his word and build each other up with the spirit of thanksgiving. Look, if you used to be the kind of husband or wife that dominated and controlled or you know, competed with your spouse, be cooperative, be humble, be sensitive like Christ was. Look, if you used to be the kind of parent that was harsh, exasperated your kids, model for them the instruction of the Lord. If you used to work at your job like a lazy person that only worked when your boss was watching you, that day is over. Now serve your boss like you would Jesus Christ because he is at work in your life to help you live the way of righteousness. Does this make sense? So two questions. How do we live? How do we know the Lord our righteousness? First question, have I called on Jesus to be my righteousness? I know some of you in this room say, yeah, Jeff, I did a long time ago. But you know, on any given Sunday, even if you've gone to church your whole life, 
I know there's some of you, you may never have done that. Do you realize the Bible says is that the way to know the Lord who is our righteousness is to call on him in faith. Humble faith. Instead of saying, I'm not going to depend on my righteousness anymore, I'm calling on the name of the Lord, Jehovah Sidkenu, Jesus. Have you done that? Have you said, Lord, please be my righteousness? That could happen today. And that, I just, I, I plead with you to consider doing that if you haven't. The second question is, am I doing anything that hurts my closeness with him? Am I doing anything that hurts my closeness with him? As I think about even this last week, you know, the Bible says is that husbands treat your wives, you know, in a considerate and gentle way so that nothing will hinder your prayers. What's he saying is the way you treat other people is also affects how right you are with God. Don't mess up your fellowship without addressing it. And so those are examples that I know he's shown me. There may be times when I look down or do something to someone else that's not servant-hearted. And so what do we do? We keep short accounts. We name it. We bring it out into the light. We let his grace shine on it. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And we'll have fellowship with one another. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise his name. So we can do that. And so is there anything? As you're thinking, let me just speak to three groups. First, some of you are here today and you are, maybe feel like Zedekiah or Jehoiakim. While we've been talking, you've been going, this is a total waste of my time. I don't care about righteousness. All I care about is what I want to do, what's right in my own eyes. Can I just humbly appeal to you? Even if righteousness doesn't matter to you right now, there is coming a day when it will. And I would just ask you humbly to hunger and thirst, like Jesus said, for his righteousness and think about why righteousness doesn't matter to you because God wants it to and he can work in your heart and melt your heart. Second thing is maybe you've been, you're depending. You thought about when you stand before God, you're depending on your own righteousness. Can I just urge you to give it up? I just urge you to throw your validating performance record in the fire and say, you alone, you alone can make me right with God. I look to you in faith. And finally, for those of us that have done that maybe years ago or a while back, how long has it been since you've told God, thank you for being my righteousness and teaching me how to live the way of righteousness as weak and stubborn as I may still be sometimes, thank you for giving me a new standing. Thank you for giving me a new desire and placing your Holy Spirit in my life so I can follow you and know your righteousness now and forever. So we're gonna close by just singing a song. I'll just ask you to think about what we just considered. And here's a song we can declare together as a church as we declare that the Lord is our righteousness. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.